Well, church family, it's uh, my prayer that uh, you feel what we've been singing about today regarding the, the love of God. And we're going to be looking at some verses today that teach us about God's amazing love. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21 this morning. And you'll find that on page 828 of your church Bibles, the navy blue Bibles in front of you in the pouch. And uh, feel free to take a copy as yours if you don't have a copy of God's Word. And uh, let's turn to page 828, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. You'll also find these verses on the screen behind me. The Apostle Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Do you ever get distracted when you pray? <laughs> Heavenly Father, in this Thanksgiving season, I'm so grateful for my family, the blessings of my son, and the blessings of my beautiful wife, Sarah. I wonder what she's fixing for dinner tonight. <laughs> she makes killer enchiladas. Those chicken enchiladas she made the other night, Lord, they were amazing. I guess this week we'll be having turkey enchiladas. Maybe by next weekend she'll want to go out to eat. I haven't tried that new restaurant downtown. I hear it's really good. Some of those restaurants are so loud. We can hardly hear each other talk while we're eating. It's like we have to yell at each other. How's your dinner? It's fine. I love you. I love you too. This is such a romantic night. I know. It's great. You ever get distracted like that? <laughs> Just get off on some tangent and 
Well, don't feel too badly if you do, because it happens. It happens to your pastor. And you know what? It even happened to the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Look up here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then the sentence just stops. Like, what, what's that? Well, he gets distracted. Now, admittedly, his distractions are a little higher altitude than mine. <laughs> a, a little, a little higher, a lot higher altitude. But, you know, okay, the scholars don't call it a distraction. They call it a, a digression, a detour. So he just, and then it's like he, from verses 2 through 13, he's trying to encourage them. He wants to strengthen them in their discouragement because, you know, they've heard that he's in prison. He helped start the church there in the city of Ephesus. And now he is chained to a Roman guard in the capital city of the empire. And they're they're disheartened. Uh, Their faith is grown weak and they're wondering well you know is Christianity for real is this what's going on Uh, you know if our if God's star player is in prison can this faith really be true and Paul is Paul takes a detour and he says everything is going as planned really really I mean, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be to communicate the message that God wants me to communicate. And so uh, I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be chained to this Roman guard. And I'm going to have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to the office of the emperor of the superpower in the world. I mean, I I couldn't have dreamed that up by myself. So everything is going according to plan. Don't be disheartened, he says in verse 13. Do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And then he picks it back up in verse 14. He says, for this reason. You see, he said that twice, so he picks it back up. For this reason, for what reason? For for what reason? Well, for the reason that he was telling them at the end of chapter 2. That by God's grace and by God's power through Christ, he has created a new community, a new race of people rising to become more than just a kingdom, more than just a family, but a temple. A temple rising to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, Ephesians 2.22, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. For this reason. And then Paul prays. I kneel before the Father. And don't read too quickly that phrase, I kneel. Because in the first century, a pious Hebrew believer would pray, standing and raising his hands. But here, Paul says, I'm kneeling, revealing passionate prayer about what the request is going to be. I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. Paul bows before the creator and maker 
and ruler of all that is seen and unseen, the source of all of life. That's what he's getting at here uh, in, in verses 14 and 15. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. And, and you know, don't overlook this because this is, a, this is a critical difference between the Eastern faiths and biblical Christianity. Because the Eastern religions, the Eastern faiths will tell you that the reason why this world is broken, the reason why this world is broken is because you don't know that you're God. And so this world is broken, and so the way to heal the brokenness is for you to know that you're God. Biblical Christianity would say, no. No, the reason why this world is broken is because you think you're God. That's the problem. See, There is a God, and you're not him. There is a God who is over all and above all, and, and Paul says, this God who is creator, set apart from creation, this God who is maker, we are privileged to address him as our father, our father. So Paul prays for these Ephesians to the father. And verse 16, he says he prays. He says he prays for power, for power. Paul prays for power. Power is a predominant theme throughout this entire letter. I mean, it, starting in, in chapter 1, verses uh, 2 through 12, the, the, the apostle Paul talked about God's power to bless us in the heavenly realms with every blessing in Christ Jesus. God's power to choose us. God's power to redeem us. God's power to adopt us. God's power to lavish us with his mystery. God's power to mark us with his Holy Spirit. Power. And, and so as a result then, uh, Paul says, for this reason, in Ephesians 1.15, do you see that there? Uh, he prays that the Ephesians might know this incomparably great power. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, 1.19 says, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him in the heavenly realms, high above every throne and power and dominion and authority, high above angelic powers, demonic powers, high above uh, the emperor of Rome. And Paul is quick to say that Jesus is head over everything in the church. We are, we are connected to him as his body. And so what's true of him is true of us. And so the power that God exerted in raising Christ, chapter 2 says, that power was applied to our lives. He, he, he says it two times in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 and 11 through 22. It was the power that rescued us from who we were. Power that was exerted because of what Christ did. And power that has transformed us into what we are, a temple. And so for this reason, here we go. 3.14. Paul prays for power. What kind of power? What kind of power does the Apostle Paul pray about? What, what's, what does this power consist of? And to what end? What's the, what's the goal line of this power? Well, that's what I want us to talk about here this morning 
in these verses. The Apostle Paul prays two prayer requests in these verses. Two prayer requests that deal with power. I want us to consider these prayer requests because these prayer requests are not simply for the Ephesian believers that lived 2,000 years ago. Church family, I want you to get it that these prayer requests are for us today. And so let's consider them. The The first request is this. Father God, give us power to strengthen our inner being. That's what verse 16 says. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Father God, give me power to strengthen, give us power to strengthen our inner being. Now, what does Paul mean by inner being? What does he mean by that? Well, the answer to that question is in another uh, passage of scripture. Write down 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly, and see that's the same word as in Ephesians here. Inwardly, the inner person Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. So Paul does a, a comparison contrast between what is, what is uh, inward what is eternal, what is unseen, versus what is is outward, what is temporal, what is seen. And Paul says, because he's getting older, he's getting older. The old body is wasting away. The persecutions and hardships are having their toll on his outer person. His body is decaying and Now, I'd be the first to admit that I've not suffered like the Apostle Paul has, but my body's getting older. Is yours? Things I used to be able to do, just can't really do anymore. It's a little frustrating. Ten years ago, Sarah and I would, you know, we, so we ran, uh, we, we, we would run together when we'd do these marathons. We did these, these half marathons that we would run. And uh, you know, we did one on uh, we did one on our anniversary one time. I couldn't think of anything else more romantic to do than to run 13 miles with my wife. So, uh, but uh, you know, my knees started kind of uh, wearing out, and so I stopped running. Well, she's continued, and so she's done a couple of the half marathons with the Illinois Marathon, and so so we had a conversation a month ago and. Um, she thought it'd be a good idea if I joined her next spring. <laughs> so I, I spoke her three favorite words, as you wish. Uh, <laughs> I bought the shoes, and, and um, so a couple weeks ago, I w- went out, and, and you know, I had some counsel. Your knees are hurting because you're striking your heel. Stay up on your toes. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. 
Stay up on your toes. You'll be fine when you run. All right. All right. So I, I, so I went out my first time out. I, I went out, and I was on my toes all right. I did, my knees were fine. And uh, then I pulled my right calf. <laughs> and then that got better. And then I went out again just uh, Friday, and I pulled my left calf. I think at this point, by next August, I should be ready for next spring's marathon. I'm sure of it. (laughs) Paul's really not praying for my outer person here. He's not, you know, if you're thinking that Paul's praying for bigger biceps or, you know, six-pack abs or, you know, sculptured calves, that's really not where we're going here. I mean, you can pray about that if you want. You can pray for the biceps and the abs, that's fine, but push-ups and sit-ups will help thousands of them. (laughs) Paul says here, Father God, give me strength to empower my inner being. My inner being, the Randy beneath the skin, the real Randy, the real, because the truth is, the truth is, marathon or not, our outer, our outer, the outer person is wasting away, decaying. And it's often the decaying of the physical that reveals what the inner person is really like. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of Edith May Clark from our church. Edith May Clark, one of our charter members here, who passed away last month. And I had the privilege of doing her memorial service. And at the caretaking facility where she was, she was an absolute joy to the staff, an absolute joy to the staff. She was, she was sunshine. She brought the weather with her. Well, one of the employees uh, uh, at, the, at the caretaking facility uh, where she had been when she died came to me just before the service and said, Edie is who I want to be. Her body wasted away, but her inner person, ah, I'm thinking of uh, Sarah's Uncle Jack, who uh, is now with Jesus, and he had such a deep faith and such a joy, and even when Parkinson's stripped the muscles from his neck to the point where when he sat at the table, well, well, he had to have a brace because his neck muscles had atrophied so, but you can't eat with the brace on. And so, he, you know, he would sit down at the table and the plate would be in his lap and he would, he would, his head would collapse down because there was nothing to hold his head up and he would just kind of scoop the food into his mouth. But he had such a joy about his inner being even though his outer being was wasting away. He would stand and greet us at the door uh, as much as he could stand and he would... Oh, welcome us like this, and he would say, welcome to Florida, heaven's waiting room. That's how he was. That's his, that's his spirit. That was his joy. That more and more as his physical body shriveled, his spirit became alive. That's how some people are. Some people. Haven't you seen others, though, who as they grow older they get more bitter and bossy and toxic and terrible and miserable 
and spread their misery around. It's as if when the physical strength is depleted, who they really are on the inside comes out because all of the restraints are off, you see. So that's why Paul prays that our Father God would strengthen our inner being with power through his Holy Spirit. But there's, a, but there's an end game to this. There's a goal to this, and that goal is in verse 17. I pray that he may strengthen you with power in your inner being, and why? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Father God, give me strength through your Holy Spirit in my inner being so that your Son will dwell in my heart through faith. I need strength in my inner being. I need strength in my heart so that you will make my heart your home. Father God, make me strong so that Christ will feel at home in my heart. That's the goal. Now why, listen, why would I need strength? Why would I need to pray for strength so that Christ can dwell in my life? Huh? Well, I mean, why, why doesn't Paul just simply say, God, help my heart be Christ's home? Why, why not just leave it at that? Well, the answer is in the word dwell. Verse 17, dwell. Do you remember when you bought your first home or your last home? Remember? Some of you, when you bought that home, it was a turnkey dwelling, wasn't it? It was turnkey. I mean, you, you know, uh, everything was painted, new carpet, new furnace, new AC. It was move-in ready. Others of you bought, what do they call it? Handy, handyman special? Handy person special? What's that mean? <laughs> you got work to do. <laughs> There's work to do. There's remodeling. You got to tear some walls out, put up drywall. And it gets exhausting. gets tiring. Remodeling? You got to you know, remodel the bathroom. That means you got to tear the old bathroom out. Remodel the kitchen. What are you going to eat? Where are you going to eat? Well, you do that. And, and then the, just the fatigue of it all, right? I mean, it's just... That's the thing I dislike most about the remodeling. The remodeling fatigue. And, and you need strength and endurance. And sometimes it just feels easier to just settle. And Paul's point here is that when Christ comes into the home of my heart, Christ has never, ever entered a turnkey operation. <laughs> ever. <laughs> every, every heart he enters is a complete remodel. And in, I didn't say redecorate. We're not talking about slapping up a little bit of kills and then put on the Dutch boy. I'm talking about complete remodel here. It's always a fixer-upper. He sees the basement of my heart. And he loves me, and he smiles. He says, this looks like a dungeon. This has got to go. I just fixed it up. No, oh, it's got to go again. Things got to get torn out. And that hurts. And I need strength. I need power. God, give me the strength. God, give me the strength to withstand and endure your construction project of my heart so that it will become your home. 
God, expand the capacity of my heart. Father God, increase the square footage of my heart so that Christ will feel at home there. Someone put it this way. Imagine yourself as a living house. And God comes in to rebuild that house. Now, at first, you know, you understand what he's doing. He's, he's got to get the drains right, and he's got to stop the leaky roof, and so on. You knew those jobs needed to be doing. That doesn't surprise you. But then he starts knocking about the house in a way that hurts abominably, and it doesn't make sense. What's he up to? And the explanation is that he is building quite a different house than you thought. He's throwing up a new wing. He's putting up a courtyard. He's building a tower, extra floor. You thought that you were going to be made into a quaint little cottage. (laughs) But you forgot something. Jesus is the king. Kings don't live in cottages. They live in palaces. And he wants your heart, to become his palace. (laughs) Listen, our, our lives need to be more than just a bed and breakfast for Jesus. He didn't want that. He wants something magnificent. He wants to be at home. You know what the good news is? You don't have to pay for it. Isn't that what Paul says? I pray that out of his glorious riches, his glorious riches, he's willing to finance all of this. He who pardoned us from his riches, he redeemed us, he chose us. You don't have to pay for it. Why would he do this? Why would he do this? Well, that takes us to our second request here. The second request. The first request is, Father God, I just, Father God, strengthen me with your power through your spirit and my inner being so that my heart will grow enough to become a palace for the king that he's going to pay for. That's the first request. The second request is this. Father God, give us the power to grasp the size of your love. The power to grasp the size of your love. Verse 17 says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. Love's all over the place here, isn't it? Isn't it? And Paul mixes his metaphors he just makes English teachers crazy. He writes long sentences and he mixes metaphors. He mixes his metaphors. Agriculture and architectural. Being rooted and established. And yet both the tree and the building settle in the soil of love. The soil of love. And it reminds me of something that Paul speaks of In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, when he talks about love, Galatians 5, 22 says, says, for the fruit of the Spirit, and gives this ninefold fruit of the Spirit, and, and, and really, really, 
Galatians 5.22 teaches us that all of the fruit of the Spirit stem from love. All of the fruit of the Spirit. And that this is why a Bible scholar named Donald Barnhouse said that joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love holding the reins. There's no fruit of the Spirit without love. Paul says, I pray that you may be rooted and established in it. And, 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 and why? So that you may have power to grasp how, why, I know, how, how do you measure this kind of love? By the gallon? By the yard? How do you measure it? And Paul just, Paul proclaims that it's just, it's limitless. It's, it's wide and long and deep and high. It's, it's wide enough for all people from all nationalities and all ethnicities and all languages, wide enough for Hebrews and Gentiles and Americans and Chinese and Africans and Romans and Latinos and Pacific Islanders. It's wide enough for all people. It's long enough, long enough to reach back before the beginning of time where God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. It's high enough, high enough to lift us up and seat us in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. And it's deep enough, deep enough for the king to become a slave and then to die a slave's death on a Roman cross for us. Every other kingdom on the face of this earth requires the subjects to die for the king. Christianity is the only kingdom where the king dies for the subjects. And Paul's prayer is that God would give us the power, the strength to grasp this. Look at that word grasp. It's a strong word. The word literally means to ambush, to to seize in a hostile way. It's, it's, it's It's more than just knowing about Christ's love. It's about experiencing Christ's love. God just doesn't want you to know it. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to experience it. It's about intentionally plotting and planning and scheming to seize upon this love. And how does that happen? Well, another wise writer said this. If you want to get warm, you've got to stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you've got to get into the water. If you want joy, power, eternal life, if you want love, then you have to get close to or even into the thing that has them. These are not just the sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting out from the very center of reality. And if you're close to it, the spray will get on you. And if you're not, you'll stay dry. And so the question is this. If you have not experienced the love of Christ, where are you standing? Where are you? Where can I go to experience this love? Well, I'll tell you where I've gone. I can tell you two places where I've gone. The first place is wherever the under-resourced are. Um, And I'll just tell you what our community outreach director, Lisa Shelter, is going to tell you here in just a minute. 
She'll tell you that if you want to experience this love, you need to go to the least of these. You need, you need to go to the looked down on. Jesus made it very clear that what you do to them, you do to me. And if you will be where they are, you will experience this love. And I had, I had a taste of this yesterday in an unexpected way. Both Sarah and I did. Uh, we went up to Chicagoland uh, with our... Uh, younger son, Brandon. Uh, yesterday, Brandon received his black belt in Kung Fu. It's been a five-year journey for him, and he tested and promoted. He had to do several forms, and uh, it concluded with a sparring match. He took on uh, three pairs of attackers two minutes apiece, and they just wailed on him, and he was fighting back, and I was just sitting there, you know, I was thinking for one minute, you know, you know, if I did that to him, they'd throw me in jail, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so they do that to him, and he gets a black belt out of it, I can't figure it out, but anyway, he received his black belt, and we were all so proud of him, and uh, so then we decided that we would celebrate this milestone uh, with lunch at Lou Malnati's Pizzeria, incredible pizza in Chicagoland, my favorite. So we go, and Brandon, what do you want? And he gets this huge, extra large, deep dish, bubbly, pepperoni pizza pie. It's perfect. (laughs) And we couldn't even eat half of it, so we had to box it up. Put it in the car. Time to head back to Champaign. Getting through the community. I get to the intersection just before I'm about ready to turn left. I'm in the left-hand lane. I'm the first car there at the intersection in the left-hand lane. Ready for that green arrow to turn on so I can turn on to 290 and get us back home and everything. And I'm right there and I pull to a stop. And there, I mean right here. Right here, out of, my, out of my side window, was a beggar. Wanted money. I don't give money. They just don't do that. Said to Sarah, open up the glove compartment, sweetheart. because got some McDonald's gift certificates in there, and, and that'll, that's just what, we, that's what I do. Okay? Well, we weren't in my car. <sighs> And then it was like both of us, you know, locked on to the other half of that pizza. Brandon's pizza. (laughs) How generous of of him. (laughs) So we took that container. It's still warm. And so, you know, I rolled the window down and, and... Handed the, the container. <laughs> it was like a brick. I mean, it was that thick. Handed it to uh, the fella. And, uh, and the green light turned back on. And just before I hit the accelerator, he got my attention one more time because he'd seen what was in it. And he should have seen his grin on his face. And then just before he pulled out, he did this. Now, I can tell you, for the next 30 minutes, the stories where I've ignored that, you know, 
And I'm just grateful that, you know, it's like I was thinking, oh, that's why we went to Chicago. <laughs> okay, we went to Chicago. We didn't really go to Chicago for my son's black belt. I mean, we were there for one of those reasons, but the primary reasons we went there to just get a glimpse of Jesus, you see. So do you want to meet Jesus? Now, another way that this looks is if you go out to the foyer and you see the over 700 boxes from the Operation Christmas Child project. See, Did you see the news the other night on Channel 3 where our dear sister in Christ, Maggie Roberts, uh, told about all that Christ is doing through his church here to serve the underserved, huh? The point is, if you want to feel the warmth, you've got to be near the flame. So what do you want? The second place, the second place, I'll tell you, where I experience the love of Christ I'll tell you right where it is. It's that place right there, that chair. Right there. In family worship with my church family. It was there this morning being with you. I mean, and isn't that what the Apostle Paul says in verse 18? I pray that you may have power together with all the saints. So this is not something that we're to seek on our own by ourselves in isolation, but with God's people, God's family. And it's not like we simply just show up and, you know, something happens. I mean, there takes some preparation here. And, and, and Katie and the worship team and Katie and I talking through and thinking through and praying through. And we come ready. We come anticipating that God is going to do something. And I wonder if perhaps... We might feel the fire of Christ's love in a deeper, higher, wider, longer way if all of us could do that to some degree. And that's why Jason Weatherholt is challenging our students in collision to read through Ephesians every week between now and the end of the year. Why can't we do that? And furthermore, why can't we do that and pray this prayer? God, by your strength, Increase the square footage of my heart so that Christ will build a palace fit for a king. And, Father God, give me power so that I might grasp your limitless love. To pursue the limitless size of your love. The power to know what is ultimately unknowable. Why can't we do that? And to what end? Well, look at verse 19 that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. What's that? That's maturity. That's what that is. Which is why Paul says in Ephesians 4, 13 and 14, he says, he says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Maturity. No longer infantile, spiritually and emotionally mature. Now, that's what Paul prays for. He, he knows where this church is. He knows where they hurt. 
He knows their health issues. He knows their frustrations and troubles. And yet he doesn't pray for fast, fast relief. He doesn't pray for immediate rescue from their circumstances. He prays that in their circumstances, God will give them the power that their hearts would be strengthened so that their hearts would grow so that in their hearts could hold a palace for a king and that, and that they would somehow be able to, to, to grasp, to know the unknowable love of Christ. What do you think that would look like if God were to actually answer those two prayers? What would we look like? Listen, listen. I'm telling you, if you will pray these two prayers, God will answer those prayers. He will answer those prayers. This is for, this is, this, these prayers are, are not for spiritual titans. They're for us. God's made these available for us. It's, it's like there's a feast in the next room, and here we are nibbling on Melba toast. What's with that? Have we been guilty of settling for far too little? God will answer these prayers for power if we dare ask him. Dare we? Dare we? Oh, I'll tell you what we'll look like if we dare ask. Verses 20 and 21. We will look like a church who is absolutely convinced to the core of who we are that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I cannot imagine. God is just beyond that of doing. We'll be a church that according to his power, that we live and we move by his power at work within us. We'll be a church that absolutely exalts in his glory. His glory. And we will be a church that will be with our king forever and ever. God, strengthen my heart so that it will become your palatial home. God, strengthen me so that I can grasp the size of your love. I'm going to be up here with the elders after our worship time, after our service is over. And we want to pray those two prayer requests for you. We want to hear what's going on in your heart. We do. And we're going to pray those two prayer requests over you if you want to come. Right now, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And then we are going to have a time of communion where we remember how high, how wide, how deep, how long is the love of our King.